Welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Let's vie for victory, friends. Hello, and welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai, and before I introduce our guest today, I just wanted to give a big thank you to all of you who attended our third virtual heal retreat over the weekend. We're super excited for what's ahead. The next one is going to be January 23rd, and we're just so excited to see God moving in your lives, and thank you for continuing to join us in this ministry. And another little announcement that is going on is I started a book club on my Instagram, So at Tara Bradham, if you struggle with chronic pain and maybe you want to start a small group or maybe you just want to go through books surrounding this topic with us, every Thursday I'm doing an Instagram live. You can get questions that I am making if you want to discuss this with other people or journal about it on your own. If you go to tarabradham.com, sign up for my newsletter, you'll get the free devotional there, and then you'll also get the small group discussion questions for the book each week. So we're going through Miraculous Healing, Why God Heals Some and Not Others by Henry Frost. And I also mentioned that in this episode. It is a little bit older English, but just an incredibly balanced theological discussion about miraculous healing and how God works in that today. So join us there on Instagram or in my newsletter each week. And today on the show, so excited to introduce you. I say my name is Tara Bradham Denai. Her name is Jenna Bradham Overby, and that's because we are cousins. So this month is Infertility Awareness Month, and it is also Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. So a mouthful, but Jenna has struggled with both infant loss and infertility, and she is going to share with us today her journey and what that has meant for her faith and her walk with the Lord. So here is one of my best friends, Jenna Overby. I am so excited to introduce all of you to my cousin, someone I consider my sister. I don't have a sister, so she's like a relative sister, um, one of my very, very best friends. So Jenna Overby, Jenna Bradham Overby is on the podcast today. Welcome, Jenna. Thank you. I'm so excited and honored to be here. Yeah. So starting off, just because we don't live in the same place, tell us a little bit about you and where you live and whatever you would like to share. Yes. So I was born and raised in North Carolina. I have been married nine years actually this month to my husband, Justin, and we have a four-year-old and a freshly turned one-year-old also this past week. But what you don't see when you look at this maybe picture-perfect family picture on Instagram is the years of infertility before we had Taylor Grace and also before we had Julian and the losses during that journey or even the pregnancy complications with both of our kids. Yeah, I actually was just reading last night Levi Lesko's book about Through the Eyes of a Lion, I think. Did you know that they lost one of their daughters at five years old? I did not. Yeah, and so it's just this crazy story. She had an asthma attack, basically, and and ended up dying. Um, But he was just talking about how, like, in every picture, now there's just, like, a hole because they have this child who's not meant to be there. And 
I know we we can tend to compare our pain with someone else's. Well, like they had a five-year-old and, you know, you lost your baby in the womb or whatever. But it's almost I'm like thinking about your story like, yeah, there are holes or even just of, of the baby you lost that could be in that photo and you just don't see that. Mm, yes, that puts it so perfectly. And even to that point, I know so many women have struggled for a lot longer than we did with infertility or like you said, further along losses, but truly everyone's valleys are their own personal valleys and I'm honored to be able to share mine today. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. It's so good. We can compare all day long and I do that. Like who am I to minister to people in pain when I've gotten a big miracle and surgery, but it's, that keeps us from doing what God put us on the earth to do. Right. So true just like help people. And before we move on to your story, I just, Julian had his birthday this week. So we were talking before, but you didn't tell me what, what did you do for his birthday? Well, in COVID times, we didn't have anything with a bunch of people or too crazy, but we had an outdoor party planned, which, you know, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. So it has been beautiful for the last week leading up to and beautiful sense, but the three days of plans that we had were all rained out. <laughs> so we did things inside, but it was good to get some of our family together. And, you know, our aunt and uncle were there and the cousins. So they all had fun playing with the kids. I know this is like a recorded podcast, but is Terry doing better? He is. He has a little splint thing on his finger. So I didn't see the gnarliness of it, but he's doing a lot better. Taylor Grace tells everyone she knows that Pops got bit by a copperhead. Yes. So I guess Jen and I are cousins. There are three brothers. So two of the brothers are our dads. And the third brother got bitten by a copperhead a few weeks ago. And that was nuts. It was. It was pretty serious. He was in the hospital for several days. Yeah. So speaking of this pain podcast, we're super glad he's doing better and able to celebrate. And then also, I want to... If you're willing to share, Julian is kind of a unique name. Why is he named Julian? Well, his great-grandfather, my grandfather and Tara's grandfather's name was Julian. And he was one of the most amazing, godly men I've ever known. And I loved him and had such a special connection with him. So I always said that if I had a son, I would name him Julian. And Julian is actually our Uncle Terry, Pops. It's his first name as well. Yeah, I just love that. It's full redemption circle and the the legacy we leave in people's lives. And uh, I had a friend in town last week and we were walking through the cemetery here, which my mentor did with me. And at first, I'm not like one of those people that's like super freaked out in cemeteries, but it's not like, oh, let's just go to the cemetery. And I've actually kind of like it now because you're just thinking about legacy and what people's lives mean and they're not there but they're present with the Lord or I'm just thinking about, yeah, Daddy Jules' legacy living on and and Julian turning one and it's just amazing. Yes, the legacy and also the fact that his birthday, he was born on October 12th, which is actually the day that Daddy Jules' wife, Mama Tan, or grandmother passed away. So it was a nice uh, redeeming thing on seemingly a sad Earth Day, but a happy happy day. Yeah. So good. Okay, so let's get a little bit more background on all of this. You have some kids now. That was definitely not always the case. There was a, a lot of pain and struggle uh, before that. So take us back to just, yeah, getting married and 
when did you start wanting to have kids and what, what did that process look like for y'all? I have always wanted to be a mom from playing mom with my Barbie dolls and my babies to working in the church nursery and babysitting starting at age 10. So for me, it's really never been a question of if, but when, and Justin and I decided to not try, but not prevent after we'd been married for about two years. And of course, after a few months, that little nagging started wondering why we weren't getting pregnant yet. And after a year, I mentioned it to my doctor at a routine checkup and she immediately sent me to a fertility clinic who the doctor there ran more extensive and a bit more invasive tests, which set us on an off and on again process there for about another year and a half. So when you're going through this, and the reason I asked you to be on this podcast is because this is just such a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual process. And I really feel like infertility, yes, it is infertility awareness month. Um, And so in specific, that's why this story is being aired now. But it, it has to do with your body as a woman. I mean, yeah, it could be your husband's, but a lot, but also your identity, right? Because this is like, what you are made to do and multiply on the earth from Genesis and all of this stuff. And so how did this start to affect your identity or do you feel like Satan was like trying to use circumstances to twist lies into your life um, as this just progressed longer? That honestly happened to me all too often. And so many times it seemed like it was so easy for everyone except for me, which kept me in that really isolated place. And honestly, even once I was pregnant, we lost a baby and I struggled after I had Taylor Grace with producing enough milk for her. And I vividly remember one night when she was maybe a week or two old and I finally had this epic meltdown of feeling like my body kept failing me and couldn't do the things that it was designed to do. I couldn't get pregnant. I couldn't stay pregnant. I couldn't even feed my baby. And I, I knew, I knew the truth. I knew that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but in so many instances, I found if I let my guard down, he could just so easily infiltrate those thoughts and pit them against myself. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how common this is. So I have made friends with a cashier at the grocery store this week, and she was telling me um, how she had endometriosis, which is what my mom had. So my mom had a hysterectomy at 30. She's 33, unmarried. She's scheduled to have her uterus taken out in December. And it's like, what do you say to someone like that where it's just like, you're never going to be able to quote, do what people tell a woman they're put on earth to do in a sense. Right. That is so tough. I think it, for me, it has always come back to my identity is rooted in Christ and Christ alone and trusting that however he made my body is how he made it. And that is perfect. So if I am to be a mom, I will be a mom how he's designed that for me. So I think even in that situation, you know, it's not that she'll never be a mother. She may still be a mother one day. It may look different than she originally thought or planned, but how many times is that in our life that things look a little different than we thought probably every day? (laughs) Hello, 2020. Right? (laughs) Yeah. I'm just thinking, I don't know if it's Proverbs, maybe it's Isaiah. I'm getting this all mixed up, but in the Bible, I know it's in the Bible. It talks about how 
like praise the barren woman or like joy to the barren woman because her children are more plentiful than the woman who has children biologically. And I think that's really encouraging to me to be like, you know, see the single people who have just mothered so many more people than just, you know, having been given to, and not that that's any less important either. (laughs) We'll talk about comparison in a second. Um, But just like what a great hope that is. That's just because you can't biologically have children does not mean God can't use you as a mother. Exactly. So let's get into that a little bit because everyone's story is different, right? You could say, that, well, she's getting hysterectomy at 33. You struggled for this long. Someone may have struggled for five years or more than that. So how, when we get into this, did you start struggling with um, the sin of comparison, whether that was to other people in the infertility process or people just, you know, your age who were then having kids when you wanted kids and the Instagram posts and just all the comparison that comes from seeing other people walk in a desire that's met that you don't have yet. Right. I did really struggle with that for a pretty long time when all the pregnancy announcements started happening or watching baby dedications at church or even honestly Mother's Day when all the mothers are asked to stand at church. Of course, I was happy for others, but I couldn't help but wonder if it would ever be my turn, especially as time continued to progress. And I struggled with that jealousy and selfish comparison. And although I didn't feel like being thankful for him at the time, I am glad that I had Justin pointing me back to God's desire for my response. And rejoicing with those who are rejoicing, mourning with those who are mourning. And honestly, there were even a few situations really close to home for me where people had only been dating for a few months or were teenagers and getting pregnant. And instead of taking my thoughts captive, I was more concerned with how it was affecting my feelings than how I could help those women. And God really had to teach me the importance of speaking truth against the thoughts that honestly, even sometimes still come that I'm on a path that he has for me. It's not my place to judge or to compare, but to love others and know that I am enough. There's just, I mean, I'm dealing with this just today. I found someone who I think could be an awesome connection. And I was like, just this sin of comparison. Well, like she's also written a book. So should we work together? And like thinking like the table is so big enough for everyone and their story on opposite sides and still loving each other. Like, I think that's what the spirit of division all over our country. I mean, I've seen that just in even like against our, my marriage this week. And it's sitting here, like, instead of someone being able to support, we're like, being pitted against each other. And I just think that's such a tactic of the enemy instead of being like, you know what? Like how beautiful that you could come on opposite sides of that spectrum and support each other. Like what a testimony to the Lord that would be. Yes. And that reminds me of, there was an article that I had read when I was struggling with comparison, especially, and it was, I believe it was called when her good news makes you feel bad, Mm -hmm. but it was talking about how comparison exists because we believe that there's a scarcity of good things. But Romans tells us that, again, God tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And whether people are struggling to have children or have lost children or are blessed with children, we should be mourning or rejoicing with them. And I'll also add that, you know, I always rolled my eyes 
hearing from someone on the other side of infertility because of course she can say that when she has kids, right? But honestly, God's timing is perfect and hindsight is always 2020, but I was too focused on my future plans instead of enjoying the beautiful gifts and being fully present and understanding all that he was teaching me in that season of waiting. Yeah. And you've talked to me before just about like, didn't you and Justin go on some trips and stuff and like just wishing you had kind of enjoyed that season of you were hoping for something, but you actually got some amazing time with your husband in that waiting time, right? We did. We did. We still talk about that too, about the special places that we were able to go and road trips and time that we were able to have with each other and get to know each other better. That really helped strengthen our marriage to honestly be able to deal with some of the struggles that we were going to face even once we did get pregnant. Yeah. What was the story I think you shared with me before about the lady in church saying something to you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. Well, you share that. I'm not, I just remember thinking, oh, that's powerful, but I don't remember the story. One of the most amazing things that actually happened during our struggle was God used a woman at our church to speak truth to me, honestly, continuously. But the first time that she did really sticks out in my mind. And it was on a Sunday before anyone knew that anything was going on with us that we were trying at all. And she kept popping into my mind and I kept getting a pull to go talk to her. And when I rounded the corner down the hallway, actually in the middle of worship, she was coming down the other end, which was really, you know, a God thing. And she asked me point blank if we were having trouble conceiving. And I, of course, lost it. And she prayed over me. And two things that really stuck out to me was that she prayed against the shame that I felt or the feeling that God was holding sin over me. And she prayed against anything that was keeping my body from functioning as God intended. And she also said the word that God gave her for us was abundance. So we spoke that over our home. We praise God in advance for what he intended for that abundance to mean, which of course we had an abundant life in him, regardless of the number of children we would have. So how long was it from when she spoke that to when you had kids? Because it wasn't like, oh, she spoke that. Now we're going to have an abundant life. And look, our quiver is going to be full of arrows and it's all magical. And now I'm pregnant right? Right. No, it did take quite a while after that. And I do remember thinking every time something powerful would happen, which honestly it happened a lot, which is so cool. Even going back and looking at my journal and seeing the little God winks that God gave me along the way using different people. But, you know, I look back and think, oh yes, this is going to be great to my story. So now I'm going to get pregnant. And then it would be longer and longer and still waiting. So it is funny looking back and and realizing how much I kept wanting to write my own story instead yeah. of letting God do it for me. Oh, I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically every day. Yes. God's like the best author ever, right? I just, that's why I fall more in love with the Bible every single day because like I'm studying the prophet books right now, which is, you know, not your typical like, oh, yay, let's study like the weeping prophet. But like when you see the prophecies and like the story that God wrote that Jesus fulfilled, I'm like, why do I think that I can write a better story than this? (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty humorous. So going into this, this is such sweet what you said, God winks throughout this. But one thing I do want to ask is for me, I mean, so far we haven't started trying to have kids yet. And so I 
know this is a huge issue for so many women, but it's not something I have faced yet. So what would you say um, to someone who has had an easy time having kids or someone like me who just hasn't been able to understand this yet? How could we relate better to someone who's had some infertility struggles? Like how much of that responsibility is on you to just humble yourself and realize people don't understand versus us taking responsibility for what could we say better? What were some things that were said that are just really not helpful that maybe we could avoid to love people better? Especially because a lot of times you don't know when someone's struggling with infertility. Exactly. And I will preface this one by saying, I truly don't think anyone in my life ever intended to hurt me with the things that they asked or said, but there are certainly insensitive things that people could avoid. Asking someone when they're having kids seems silly, but even if you try asking if they'd like to have kids, if you really want to go there, but there are a lot of reasons that that's a really sensitive question because they could be dealing with infertility. They could have just lost a baby. They could even honestly be early pregnant and they're not ready to share yet. So that's one that came up so frequently because, you know, after you've been married for a year or two, that's always the go-to question. Yeah. And another thing that really got me was, and it even still does, honestly, is people complaining about how rough pregnancy is or how annoying their kids are. Mm -hmm. I remember telling Justin that if I was ever pregnant, he wouldn't hear me complaining. And when I ended up having really bad morning sickness from pregnancy, he called me the happy puker because... (laughs) I was just praising the Lord that this was something that my body was reacting because I was pregnant. Yeah. And I do think there's a difference in sharing struggles versus complaining. So I'm not saying that you can't share and be honest and real with someone. But again, there's that difference in, I feel like society has set this standard that when you're pregnant, it must be awful and you should complain all the time. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I, I really and truly don't know. <laughs> but, you know, several people said to me when I was pregnant, why aren't you complaining? Or, you know, why are you so happy? Why, why are you feeling so good? You must be doing something to feel good. And it was always, no, I'm every day I'm living, like you say, I'm living my miracle. Hmm. And I'm enjoying the way that my body is made and it's reacting because that's how God made it. Because there's something growing. Uh, I'm just sitting here thinking that is so true about our society. I don't know if we just like being the victim in a sense, but also reading Levi Lesko's book again last night, I was just floored by the fact that he said, so you know, Jacob wrestling with God, he walks out with a limp. And that's a concept I really like with Christianity of like, you should be wrestling with God enough that sometimes you walk away with a limp. But he said, you know what, if God heals my limp, I'm not going to walk around and pretend like I have one just to keep limping. Mm, That's good. You know, with the death of his daughter of like, I'm limping, but like, I'm not going to sit here. Like if God heals that, like, praise God. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have not thought about that. Like a limp is good, but also like, it's not bad if you are healed, like to walk in that freedom, like neither one, we're all in a different part in that journey. But wow, that just, that got me. Right. Praising God in all circumstances. Yeah. And the last thing I was thinking was as far as helping if you do know someone who is, you know that they're struggling with infertility or with loss. It was always really nice to get an encouraging text message from someone or just something simple to check in. I didn't want to talk about it all the time, but knowing that people were praying for me and thinking about me was encouraging. And I didn't want people to feel like they had to avoid it or honestly, even them 
feel like they had to avoid telling me good news. Yeah. That was something that I did run into that I never wanted anyone to be afraid to tell me something Mm -hmm. that was going on that was really exciting in their life if they were pregnant or something else really exciting. So, you know, continuing your friendship, being authentic and real and acknowledging it, but it doesn't have to be something you tiptoe around or talk about every single time you talk either. That's really good. I think that's so hard in reality when we just are so given to envy or just thinking someone else will that like not saying someone's no for them, but also like not assuming their jealousy either. Yes. yes. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure I've put that into words before, but that's really good. Okay. So moving on, you eventually decided to try IVF which tell us what that is. And then you and I have had some really deep conversations about this just when I got married and talking about birth control and like what is ours to take control of um, and what is not. Like some Christians I think believe, you know, all birth control is bad. Like if you take control of any part of the pregnancy process, you know, you're trying to be God. And then there's just just a different perspective as well. So not judging anyone's opinion, but what did that look like? for you when you decided to try IVF? Right, that's a big question. I know, sorry, it was very loaded. (laughs) So honestly, this for us was completely God's direction. In hindsight, it would have been a really difficult decision for me, but we did IVF, which is in vitro fertilization. Essentially, they took the eggs that my body produced and they took Justin's sperm and let them fertilize, I guess, for lack of better terms, in a petri dish. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yes. <laughs> and later they put it back in to see if it would attach and continue to progress as a normal pregnancy would. So I truly did not want our story to be one of medicine. And I even said this a little bit earlier of trying to write my own story, my own testimony. I wanted God to miraculously give us a baby naturally. I tried the chiropractor. I tried eating differently. I tried every blog possible oils was prayed over. And we even actually took a break from the fertility doctor before going into this because they had suggested injections and I wasn't ready because I injections of what an injection cycle just for a way of boosting your hormones and watching the eggs, just basically another step in fertility that was a little bit deeper into medicine than I was comfortable with at that time. Okay. So I wanted to make sure that God had made it really clear to us that that was the path that we should take. And long story short, after several failed attempts and delay cycles due to cysts on my ovaries and my body overproducing follicles and canceling my last cycle, they told me, that my setup was actually perfect for IVF where I was. I had to decide that day, but the way that it worked, I know the way that it worked, insurance was going to actually have it had already paid for the cycle versus if I was doing IVF insurance wouldn't have paid for any of it. So it was not the plan, but it was something that the doctor said would keep me from getting cysts again it wasn't necessarily his ideal, but it was an option. So we prayed about it and talked with our family about it after we prayed about it. And we did struggle with that concept of taking things into our own hands. And honestly, I still 
in my mind struggle with it a little bit after the fact, but I do believe that it's something that everyone will have their own convictions about. And all that we can do individually is pray and spend time in the word to discern God's direction for us. We have been praying and we felt God's word and direction for us was that he had given us the doctors and the medicine for that scenario. And even if we did IVF, it was still in God's hands as to whether we conceived or not, as to whether that baby would survive. Right. So it's not my place to tell anyone what they should do other than to search your heart and God's heart in your specific situation. Yeah. I reminds me of a book I'm doing, the book club I'm doing on social media right now. It's a book called Miraculous Healing, Why God Heals Some and Not Others. And I love his definition of healing because he says all healing is divine. So there's a distinction between divine healing and miraculous healing because essential oils are divine, right? God made plants. Like that's his creation that's healing you, right? Doctors and medicine, like what you're talking about, it's like he gave them that knowledge. Like that's still divine. So miraculous is just him working outside the rules and physics and things that he's already made to bring something about, but actually giving God credit for like any kind of healing you receive is divine. I think that's like a way better way of viewing it that we don't think about. I love that. Okay, random question, and I did not prep you for this at all. I don't know what it's called, but have you heard of using in vitro, I guess, whatever it is, a fertilized embryo, you can adopt it, and then someone else has that baby? I don't know what it's called, but Jacob's cousin just did that. Really? Yes, and she just had her baby. Oh, well, it is called I believe it's called embryo adoption okay and it is that's something I feel like I may have actually talked to you about this before because probably I don't want to get on a long tangent but basically if after IVF which is I think what makes it really controversial mm-hmm. if you have embryos remaining again it's a personal convictions as to whether you believe that that is life because in terms of natural pregnancy that would be right at conception Mm-hmm. when it becomes an embryo. So what do you do with those embryos? Mm-hmm. If you are no longer having children, do you, your options are to discard them is what it's called. Discard. I hate that word, but that is the word you can donate to science research, or you can do embryo adoption, which is giving your embryo to someone else who cannot conceive that would like to be pregnant themselves. It's just crazy yeah that's a long tangent but this these issues just get so complex and i mean as volatile as the world is right now i mean yeah yeah, i can imagine that that's one thing that is hard for me when i stop and think about it and i've told myself that i can't until we're in that situation Mm -hmm. and we need to pray about it until that point but that is a future that i i need to focus on today but all of those scenarios sound really hard to me yeah yeah. So anyway, going back to just this IVF and, and that whole process, before we get to the results of it, let's talk about Justin because we're sitting here talking about like, oh, like the woman's side, which is obviously very important, but there is another figure in this whole story. So what was Justin's perspective through all this? Like what did he face going through infertility? From my view, he didn't struggle as much as I did. And it was interesting talking to him recently about it in preparation and looking back he actually said that he was hurt the most seeing me upset 
and how much I wanted to be a mother, whether it was from my desire not being fulfilled or crying on his shoulder after the latest negative pregnancy test. But he didn't struggle as much of he didn't struggle as much with the hurt of seeing someone else get pregnant. So it was hard for him to understand and support me in why a lot of times it did affect me. And, you know, of course he said that watching me be poked and prodded and really sick actually after IVF and then losing a baby, seeing my emotional response to those was really hard for him. So when you're going through this, losing a baby and infertility, I feel like those are some of the biggest hurdles a marriage can face. And I think it can tear a marriage apart or bring you really close together. So what did that look like? How did you come together instead of letting that tear apart your marriage? Right. I could really see it going both ways, like you said. And it's one of those things that with infertility and loss and every tough thing in life, you have to constantly, almost second by second, make a choice and direct your thoughts. And for us, our choice was always going to be grieving together. We might not always understand the way that the other person is grieving or even their viewpoint, but it was supporting each other. And a lot of times that sadly for him, it meant me just crying on his shoulder, but that's what I needed. I needed his comfort and I didn't necessarily need words. I needed his strength and his prayers. And I think that going through all of that together absolutely strengthened our marriage and prepared us for all of the things that we would face again later in pregnancy and even with having kids and the trials that you face with being parents. Yeah. So let's go on. The first pregnancy was Taylor Grace, right? Yes. So you were pregnant with twins. Take us through that, how the IVF worked the first time. Yes. So I actually experienced what's called hyperstimulation after IVF. And although I didn't even know if I was pregnant yet, I was in extreme pain and really sick for a week straight that I can barely remember. And I guess in layman's terms, there's so much fluid built up from the release of all of these eggs that it stimulates and they had to do a really awful procedure several times to actually drain that fluid. Yes, it was not fun. Thankfully, again, I don't remember a lot of it, but going back to the word that God provided with abundance, right? I look at that and I think he just gave us an abundance of eggs, right? Mm. So it was hard to go through that physically, but also celebrating the way that he provided in that situation. And because of all of that, we did have extra ultrasounds and we found out at only six weeks that we were having twins. So we got to see and hear those miraculous heartbeats several times. And even at 10 weeks, hearing them again at the regular doctor, we graduated there and being able to see two strong, healthy babies and being able to share the news with all of our family and friends. And I have never experienced so much joy and so much grief in a split second as our ultrasound actually the following week when we saw baby A moving all around, strong heartbeat filling the room and then complete silence and no movement. And I can still feel that excruciating pain uh, that just brought me to my knees in the parking lot uh, after we left the doctor's office. And I, 
I just couldn't fathom that having struggled with infertility that I would also have to experience loss. Yeah. And it's, you know, in hindsight, that's a, that's a silly thought that doesn't make any sense. But where I was, I just, I was so in awe of the miracle and celebrating God's faithfulness and his goodness. And I didn't understand how he could give us a word like abundance and give it to us just to take it away before, before we could even meet our baby. Yeah. And, you know, I still had a healthy growing baby. And so every time I felt that grief bubbling up, I felt I'd just push it back down because I had this fear of something happening to this baby too. And I was actually put on rest until 20 weeks because of that additional complication. But I was able to carry her twin. I was able to carry that baby with me through when she was born. So we would see, you know, that baby at our next ultrasound appointment, which was very different from how women experience a miscarriage with a single pregnancy. Yeah. Well, I'm just sitting here thinking even people who have never been pregnant before, like me, of like how we carry promises of God. So I think a lot of times we use pregnancy as this metaphor for the promises of God and how it's like simultaneously you can be carrying one promise while you've lost something else you felt like God told you. And like that challenge of grieving but not wanting to let it affect the new one it's probably not as as the metaphor has its faults I think at a certain point as comparison to to real life what you went through but that's just I mean then once you had her were you able did you ever have to go through that grieving process like you felt like you couldn't go through in the pregnancy I did and and even to what you said about with his promises I I did I struggled with questioning his promises for me. And I knew, I know that God always keeps his promises, but questioning, did I hear that right? Was that really a promise to me? Or was that just to this person in the Bible? Or was this, did I hear this wrong? Did I misinterpret this word to mean something that he didn't intend? And yes, that night, uh, again, it was several weeks after I had Taylor Grace. I I still feel, I still see the scene slumping down the wall and losing my marbles. I let, I was probably the ugliest cry I've ever had, but it it was, it was frustration and anger at my body for not working the way that I felt like God intended for our bodies to work. Yeah. You know, just really grieving the loss of what I had imagined life would look like, you know, picturing those two cribs, picturing my two babies and what would it look like to be nursing both of them at nighttime and Mm -hmm. knowing that every time I looked at my daughter that as much as I loved her and it it was a separate love but that like you perfectly said earlier that hole like someone was missing and then you almost feel guilty right for like why can't I love Taylor Grace like just like she's the biggest gift because she is absolutely like how did you get over that guilt and shame, just surrender and work through it. Yes. I think, I don't remember where I heard the analogy, but you know, so often we try to, God gives us something and we clasp our hands, Hmm. keeping our hands open and knowing that as hard as it is to comprehend or even imagine that everything is his and having our hands open that he can take or give at any point and knowing that 
she is such a miracle and such a blessing and how thankful we are for her. And although we miss her twin, knowing that he'll never have to experience the heartache of this world and that uh, he's in heaven and yeah, that we'll, uh, we'll see him again one day. Yeah. So you're saying him when that's before uh, you would have known the gender. So it's a pretty, pretty cool story. Share that. And then uh, what that sweet lady, that word she shared with you about that. Yes. I right away said it's a boy and a girl. And when we lost him, I said, well, we lost our son and we're having a daughter. And, you know, at our anatomy scan, it was confirmed that she was a girl. And, you know, we didn't really talk about it that much after the fact, but every time we refer to that baby, we say he or him. And when I was actually very early pregnant with our son, Julian, we didn't know the gender yet, but there was an ultrasound picture on our fridge and a woman who had been cleaning our home at the time, she saw his ultrasound picture on the fridge and told me that God was fulfilling his promise and giving us another son. So that one I still think about just gives me chills all over that, you know, she didn't even know the story of us losing Taylor Grace's twin. She didn't know that we said it was a boy and that ever since then I had said, I felt like I felt this calm and this peace that God was promising to give us another son. Yeah. That's crazy. Talk about a God wink. I feel like that's like one of the really exaggerated <laughs> winks you do out with your friend and you look really awkward. So in this loss, right, that you lost her twin and then you had IVF again, right, to get pregnant with Julian. We did. So how did you face that fear, I'm assuming you had, of losing him like you lost the first one? Yes. So Honestly, that fear was, of course, a lot stronger once you realize that although you hear these things all the time, they can also happen to you. But after we had Taylor Grace, we didn't use any kind of contraception or preventatives, knowing that if we did get pregnant, it would be a huge blessing and a miracle. And we were actually ecstatic when we found out that I was pregnant right before Taylor Grace turned two, but we lost that baby a week later. And when she was two and a half is when we ended up doing another transfer with IVF using an embryo from her cycle. And I did become pregnant with Julian. And it was a lot more difficult for me this time because I went into it knowing that, again, just because you struggle with infertility doesn't mean that you're exempt from loss. And I really had a new set of fears that I had to battle, but God did teach me so much about taking those thoughts cap captive and casting those anxieties on him. And I know that I've told you before about the concept of foreboding joy, but yes, it basically says that we can't be fully present if we're focusing all of our thoughts on what has the potential to rob us of our joy. Mm. And basically foreboding joy is when something good happens, our immediate thought is we better not let ourselves feel it because if we really love it, we could lose it. And it would shut us down. But that also, that's taking away from enjoying the good gifts that God gives us and embracing what he's given us today and being present. Yeah. And I did start to relax into my second trimester, but 
at 16 weeks, I woke up in the middle of the night in a pool of blood and I spent the night just crying out and pleading for our little boy's life. And it seemed like an eternity before we went to the doctor the next morning and were able to hear his heartbeat and was once again placed on rest due to a subchorionic hematoma. And actually that rest was lifted the week before I flew to Montana for your wedding. <laughs> I mean, that in itself is just such a testimony, right? So you live in North Carolina. I don't know if we said that. And you have all this going on and you chose, yes, people don't know, you were the matron of honor in my wedding, but you flew to Montana. I mean, and you feel like you were really free is what you've said, right? Of that fear. Yes, it's, there is, there is a freedom in saying no to the fear. I mean, how many times does the Bible tell us not to fear? And I know it's so much easier said than done, but it's like a study that you and I did together that was saying, you know, fill in your blank, but if not, Hmm. then God, like he is still God. And knowing that he will bring us through anything, but just having that trust and that peace that only he can give. Yeah. And now you have some uh, amazing photo shoots of the Grand Tetons to show for it. We sure do. I was creeping your Instagram uh, this week and I was like, oh, wow. I remember that. You're some of my favorites. But he wasn't out yet. He was still in your belly. So now you have a different family. Yes. So in this like foreboding joy loss, like I'm just sitting here thinking because we had this conversation when Uncle Terry got bitten by a copperhead. And I was like, is this like common in North Carolina? And you're like, yeah. And he got bitten by this like baby, which apparently baby snakes like don't let go as fast and their venom's more severe and all this stuff. And like he's an adult in the hospital for a few days. And I, you know, like not that I want to just be a worst case scenario person, but I'm like, that could like kill your child. And he found it under the playground, right? Or that's where they hide a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, like the fear of a mom now that you're just like, that's it. There could be a copperhead under a playground and like my kid could be gone or, or whatever that is, fill in the blank. Yes. You hear so many horror stories and I've heard so many recently and it always hits home when the child that you hear about is your own kid's age mm-hmm. and obviously people being scared about COVID-19 right now. Yep. So I do think that all of that that we experienced really did help us learn that we have to let go of that fear, that we can't live in a constant state of fear. And that is something as a parent, you know, I've actually joked with a few of my girlfriends about this that have also experienced loss, but we were so trying to fight that fear while we were pregnant. And we didn't realize that it's, it's almost harder once they're on the outside. There's so many other factors. And if you live your life in this constant state of being afraid, that's not the abundant life that God's promised for you. Right. But then we talk a lot about tensions, right? So holding the tension of like, I'm not going to live in fear, but at the same time, like life is super fragile and I want to be a good parent and create, you know, some safety for my child who doesn't know not to run in the street. Yes, exactly. So just like that constant tension, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell us, uh, I do like the Enneagram. You identify yourself as a one on the Enneagram. So this is something I really want to know in preparation for what I hope is motherhood someday, but just a one is someone who is incredibly perfectionistic, right? And so I want to know, like, as a mom, 
how have you learned to have grace for yourself as just a recovering perfectionist? So I would consider myself that too. I love that. <laughs> recovering perfectionist. Well, I'm doing Celebrate Recovery right now, right? And they're like, you, you know, it doesn't have to be someone addiction or whatever. And they're like, you're always recovering. So it's like, I am a recovering pride person or recovering. You're always recovering. That's good. That's good. <laughs> like I said earlier, as far as it's second by second and minute by minute with so many things that you have to choose how you're going to respond to things. But I do put a lot of pressure on myself as a mother because I know how much I yearned for this, but also because I know what a responsibility and privilege it is to point our kids to Jesus. So being a parent, it does give you a new perspective on the father's love for us. I feel, and that grace and unconditional love that I give to my kids is what he gives to me. So God doesn't hold my son over me. Neither should I just like I wouldn't do that over my children. So I have to remind myself pretty frequently that I have to live in that freedom and the sufficient grace that he gives me every single morning. And if I, if I don't do that, it's almost my little mantra every morning. But if I don't, I can see it. I can see it throughout the day, the difference and how I react even to myself or my kids. Is that something like you have a quiet time or just something that you're like saying as you get up in the morning? Both. Because like an early mom, right? Like I can't fathom that you have a, a perfect set quiet time every morning, right? That is one thing that definitely changes with kids because they do not have alarm clocks or work by a schedule by any means. So yes, it's something that I have found on the days that if I got woken up way earlier than my alarm clock was already set for, if I haven't made the time to be intentional that morning, I see a huge difference in the grace that I'm giving myself and the grace that I'm giving my kids. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we're coming up on the close I, of this, I think, but I just want to ask, what are some things that we didn't cover? What would you want to share with people, maybe someone going through this? What have we left out? Ah, and speaking of fear, that actually reminds me that really prior to all of this, if you were to ask me what my biggest fear was, it was not being able to have kids, which I know sounds so strange, but for whatever reason, that was mine. And every single month, every pregnancy test that was negative, it felt like another day closer to that fear being realized mm -hmm. and really amplifying that desire to be a mom. So again, that was something that I think going through that and dealing with that and not handling it in the best way in the beginning was something that God gave me so much grace and so much, he was able to teach me so much through that, that I am now able to carry into motherhood and hopefully let go of some of those extra fears that are also creeping yeah. in. Like when your worst fear is realized, God is still good. Yes, exactly. That's good. Yeah. Anything else? Like what would you say to someone who um, is struggling with infertility right now? I would first say to really open up to people who love you if you haven't. I know I mentioned earlier that it can be such an isolating place because it is something that isn't widely talked about or you wouldn't share right from the beginning. And it took us a year and a half or more actually to share with anyone else at all. But it was a good friend sharing something difficult in her life with me that said, you know, we felt like there was this big elephant in the room with us that no one else saw. So why wouldn't we want more people praying with us? Mm -hmm. And having the support and prayer of those 
close friends and family members really made a big difference to us. And I would also say that God uses everything for his glory and fulfilling your desire to be a mother may look different than what you have pictured. Like we said earlier, and I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but it has been so humbling and amazing to be used to actually encourage other women. There have been so many instances where I'm not one to normally open up about personal things, especially with someone I don't know very well, but I've felt this prompting on my heart to mention something about our story, whether it was loss or infertility. And in those times, so many women have said to me, that is exactly what I wanted to hear right now. I have been alone. I have been isolated. I've been struggling with this and I'd really like to talk to you or, you know, just whether it's, they want encouragement or they just want the ear of someone who has been through what they're going through. So that has been so humbling and honestly a privilege in that I've been able to experience being used by God in that way that I never would have if I hadn't gone through this journey. Yeah. So, so good. Okay. I'm going to ask you again, just to make sure we got it all. Is there anything else that we're missing? I'd say the last thing I want to share is from one of my favorite devotions during our infertility season. And it was one that was by girlfriends and God called when you don't like the story God is writing, Mm. which I've shared generally that that was something that was pretty hard for me, but it said that glory moments and difficult times are not dependent on our circumstances, but on our focus, focus on the difficulty and God is difficult to see focus on God and glory seeps through the broken places. Mm. I love that. I even, you know, I read it pretty frequently to myself because again, it's that choice. It's focusing on God and seeing his glory, seeing the positive, whatever the situation is, instead of the difficult times. Yeah. So good. Well, I think that's a perfect ending point right there. God's glory seeping through the broken places. Jenna, thank you so much for doing this. I can't wait for people. I think it just relates to so many um, of us, whether we've struggled with infertility or just in, in life. I just think there are some, some golden nuggets in this conversation, and I can't wait for people to hear it. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that conversation uplifted and challenged me. My conversations with Jenna always do that. So I hope it did the same for you. And if you have any friends, anyone you know of who is dealing with infertility, has dealt with infertility, maybe they just had a miscarriage, any of those things, send them this episode. Hopefully it can encourage them as well. All the books that we mentioned, how to sign up for the book club, that is all in the show notes as well as Jenna's Instagram. And we will see you here for another episode on Monday.